did some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, and I'm Sean McCraney, your host, wearing my Manly Melon shirt tonight. And uh, we have a streaming video announcement. If you have friends or family anywhere else in the world who can't watch the show live, they can go to the website at www.bornagainmormon.com. They can click on the TV shows, go to watch the show streaming, and anywhere in the world they can watch it live. Of course, you can always watch all of the shows. We've had done 101 now uh, in, on our website for free. Just click on the show you want to watch, and it will come up. You can watch it streaming video. In the house tonight, a great group, Mary Ellen, Glenn, Dan, Jed, Eileen, Derek, Michelle, John, Margaret, Matt and Maggie, and Brenda. It's a fine group. Um, listen, uh, we don't typically anymore do shout-outs, but I have to do this shout-out tonight. Um, last night I was in Springville at a book signing at Gift of Grace uh, Christian Supply. It's a great bookstore in Springville, Utah. If you live in the Happy Valley area, you should shop at that gift at that. Christian bookstore. They carry a lot of great books. But I was there doing a book signing, and a, a young woman and her husband came up, and uh, they told me that their sister, whose name was Arian, she uh, loved the show, and she called in once and said, can you give a shout-out to my sister? And that was the girl who was there. And so, and that was a show where I said, hey, I do the shout-outs. You can't call and do a shout-out. And she said, and then I said, go ahead. And she shouted out to her sister who happened to be watching. Well, her sister and her husband uh, are uh, now coming to know the Lord through the show. But they informed me that four weeks ago, Arian died of cancer. But two, uh, two years ago, she became a fan of the show. And so I have to give a shout out to Arian and the great work she did in the lives of her family. Uh, last night, the book signing was great. It was a fabulous time. I met a lot of wonderful people, and uh, it was great to see the work that the Lord is doing in the lives of so many. So uh, we praise God for that. Tonight is a milestone because tonight will be the final. We could have some, but it's going to be the final consistent pastor in the pub. We are not going to do pastor in the pub anymore, thank you, because of a number of factors. So we're going to do traveling pastor every month in a new place, and we're going to come out to your area and see you. But the weekly um, meeting at Denny's on Tuesday nights after the show, we are going to officially not be behind that. Now, of course, if you want to go to that Denny's after the show and, and party on together, of course, you're welcome. But that's just not going to be something that we're going to do any longer. 
things change, things progress, we have other needs that we have to focus our attention on, and so that's uh, how it's going to be. Uh, we uh, received uh, a, something from Ann who says the book, I Was a Born Again Mormon, is now available at the Salt Lake City Public Library. So if you don't want to buy the book, you just want to go read it, please check it out there. A, someone sent me this headline from the Standard Examiner, and uh, it says regarding uh, President Hinckley's passing, leader to all faiths, ages, dies. And uh, I want you to know that uh, Gordon B. Hinckley was the leader of the LDS Church for many years, but he was certainly not the leader uh, of all faiths. And um, it's unfortunate that uh, the standard examiner out of Ogden, I believe, could print uh, such a thing. Just to keep you updated on the things that they're doing to uh, make themselves much more ecumenical, much more worldwide uh, church-based. They, uh, let's see, I have it somewhere uh, right here from AAA. He says that there is a release from the church that might help from Salt Lake City, February 8th, 2008. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will increase its efforts to ensure that the public better understands its beliefs and the values it represents. Two apostles of the church said today, Elder Cook said that the church doesn't avoid probing questions or scrutiny. The church welcomes honest inquiry, he said. Opposing viewpoints should be discussed in the spirit of honesty and without rancor. Every now and then I get some rancor in my, uh, in my being, but uh, we try to approach it honestly. I would like to extend a public invitation to Elder Gene R. Cook, who's an official representative of the church, who is now one of the 12 or one of the two men assigned to help the public better understand the LDS beliefs. And he, and he says that the church doesn't avoid probing questions. I invite uh, Elder Gene R. Cook, please, someone, if you know him, send him a letter and an email. I invite him to come on the show and sit with us. I'll give him as many weeks as he wants to sit and go through all the things we talk about here about Mormonism so that he can lay it out on the line and show you how wrong I am and how evil I am for saying the things I say and uh, about the church. So again, we hope that dialogue opens up and the public can hear from an, an official representative about the church. Also in the news, um, this is from Meridian. It's a magazine, The Place Where Latter-day Saints Gather. And what they have on the cover of Meridian uh, of this article, I don't know if you can zoom in here, but uh, what they have are these golden plates. And the thing says golden plates on display in Bulgaria. And the whole thing in this Meridian magazine is to show, to validate Joseph Smith's claims that uh, there was a book on gold plates written and that it was normative for people to write on golden plates and to strap the plates. You can see the way they, they put rings around the plates to strap the plates that way. This is how Joseph described it. These plates are very old, somewhere around 600, 700 BC, which Meridian Magazine points out was uh, around the time the golden plates first started to be written. And, and Meridian Magazine just simply makes the claim that this shows that this gives you proof, this is an actual archaeological find that uh, Joseph Smith's claims have to be somehow true because look at, we have some evidence that plates were actually written upon and they were put together, bound together with rings. 
Well, we're going to address that in the next few weeks. I've gotten a number of emails from different people, Josie and Greg. Other people have sent me copies of this thing. I've got a bunch of different pictures of it. And I'm going to come back and give you uh, some real good reasoning, logical thinking about these plates and how they do not substantiate uh, 99% of Joseph Smith's claims of the Book of Mormon being written on gold plates. And uh, we'll talk about that. I don't want you to think I'm dodging the issue. You've sent me the emails. I'm going to be looking at that, and we'll talk about it in a while. This March, traveling pastor in the pub in Tooele on March 3rd at Denny's at 925 North Main from 6 to 8 p.m. We eat and greet. And then uh, after that, we're going to have an open water baptism at a place to be disclosed. We hope you'll join us there. So uh, Mitt Romney abandoned the race. I sort of feel bad for him, for, for the person Mitt Romney. I like him. I've said that before as an individual. I think as an individual, he would have probably made a very nice president. Seems to be a nice fellow. But it seems America was not ready to vote an active Mormon into office. In a recent Wall Street Journal article, it explains that the LDS Church is rather dismayed at the amount of venom that still exists toward Mormonism today in the U.S., so much so that Americans are more than willing to elect a woman or a black man into the sacred office over a faithful member of the church. From the Wall Street Journal article, it says, a Wall Street Journal NBC News poll in late January revealed that 50% of Americans said they would have reservations or be, quote, very uncomfortable about a Mormon as president. The same poll found that 81% would be enthusiastic or comfortable with an African-American and 76% said with a woman. So I think what that is saying is that maybe it's time the LDS Church renounced some things and apologize for some things and change some things that make 50% of the people polled, which are representative of a large segment of the American uh, audience, that they don't trust Mormonism. You know, I think it showed. Look at Huckabee, who put in a, a third of the amount of money into his campaign, essentially received the same number of votes. And, and look at what uh, McCain, who's supposed to be a liberal uh, 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 conservative uh, a liberal Republican, look what he got. He just blew them out of the water. What's the problem? It, seem, it seems like Mitt Romney had all the, the right answers. He looked like a president. He was eloquent. He's rich. He saved the Olympics. He had everything. Why didn't he get the nod? And why would someone who's supposed to be a liberal uh, Republican get the nod so overwhelmingly? Because they don't trust Mormons. And why don't they? Because they see the duplicity in what in, is in the history, they see what is in the present day practices, and the American public was not fooled. So Thomas S. Monson, if you can hear me, I hope that you'll change a few things. Just a few things. Stop saying God was once a man. Ever. Stop saying that men and women can become gods. Just renounce that outright. Renounce the Pearl of Great Price hopefully other books, but at least The Pearl of Great Price, as a fraud. Admit it, okay? Apologize for polygamy. Apologize for blacks in the priesthood. And then reverse all this teaching about grace and just teach that every single person is saved by grace through faith in the, in the saving blood of Jesus Christ. 
make those, those five changes, and you would see some votes come through for a candidate who otherwise would deserve it. Now, let me flip this over. There's another side to the coin. Some of you don't realize this, but our ministry is not just to LDS. It's also to the churches in Utah. And I'm going to uh, give a message to the Christian churches here in Utah and in the Idaho area. Teach the Word. Teach the Word of God. I'm going to make some friends tonight. The Lord said that through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 3.15, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. That is what pastors are to do, to feed the flock with knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. Now, in Jeremiah's day, the pastor of the children of Israel led them astray because they stopped teaching and feeding them with knowledge and with understanding. This caused Jeremiah to ask, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. But it never came. And Israel crumbled into desolation, and they were led captive into, ba into Babylonian captivity. Why? Jeremiah 10.21 says, For the pastors are become brutish and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. This caused the Lord to say to pastors in Jeremiah, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Listen, there is no way in the world the, the Lord God is going to ever cause Mormonism to fall in this state. Mormonism will never fall in this state until the pastors in this state start teaching the Word of God. They have to teach the Word. If you're not teaching it, you are doing your membership a disservice. Now, I'm not talking about taking one verse out of the Bible and building a whole sermon out of it. And I'm not talking about um, uh, some formula to build your church up to some mega church. I pray that you guys will choke on your entertaining, supersonic, multimedia, candy-coated messages. I pray that you'll vomit out your Harry Potter is of the devil seminars that you hold on Sunday, and I pray that you will teach the Word of God to the people in this state. They are starving for it, and they have nothing to stand on because of this type of teaching that is going on. Now, let me say this. I know there are a lot of pastors in the state who do teach the Word of God. I am not speaking to you at all. But if you, if you are a congregate and you go to a church where the pastor does not teach the Word of God, walk away from it and go to a church where they do. If you go to a church and you're paying money to that pastor to teach you happy stories and to make you feel good, walk away from it. Pull your money back and go into a church where the pastor is teaching you the Word. All right? Don't ever say I'm not uh, controversial on both sides of the coin. It's for the people of this state to have a place to go and learn about God. So just repent and teach the word. Okay, quickly, last week we sort of ran out of time. We had three passages from the Bible that the LDS used to justify their Joseph-oriented idea that God has a father who has a father who has a father. And I said I would cover those passages tonight. So before we enter into our discussion about Satan, and that's tonight's topic, let me just cover these passages quickly. These are three passages LDS missionaries and the LDS use to justify an eternal regression of God's. 1 Corinthians 8.5, 1 
John 10.34, and Revelation 1.6. Let's read and review this first one, 1 Corinthians 8.5-6. through 6. It talks about, For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven and on earth, there are be many gods and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. The line that says, it's a parenthetical reference, and it says, as there be God's many and Lord's many. All right? The passage context of this is that Paul was talking to the people of Corinth. It was a Grecian city, and it was noted for being luxurious and wealthy and immoral and vicious. And they had a pagan temple there in Corinth, and they would worship their pagan gods and their pagan idols and offer up meaty sacrifices to them. So when Paul says there be gods many and there be lords many, look at that because the gods is a lowercase g, the lords is a lowercase o, and he's talking about their idols. That, but just if you wanted to see what the context is of that, just see what he finishes with because he says, but to us there is but one God, all right? All you have to do is read the verse after, verse 6, in that 1 Corinthians passage, and you will have the context and be able to answer the LDS to use it. Okay, there's another one in John 10, 34, and we talked about that last week where it says, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? Okay, that's another one they will use. Again, look at the context, go back to last week's show, and Jesus is talking about uh, he uses the Hebrew logic to confound the Pharisees. All right, and there's just one more, and it's in Revelation. Listen to this passage that the LDS used to prove that there are many gods before the Father. Revelation 1.6, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. They love using this one. And to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In Revelation 1.6. Open your Bibles and mark that. And it's really simple. If a Latter-day Saint ever uses this verse on you to prove that God has a father who has a father who has a father, uh, it's a great setup. Because all you can do is show them how this verse, all it's saying is that Jesus is God. All right? It, if you want to read it another way, it says and hath made us kings and priests unto Jesus and his Father. But it calls Jesus God there in Revelation 1.6. So all you got to do is go and read that again, and it is speaking of Jesus God and his Father, which is the Father. Any and every commentator, especially those understanding the Greek, completely understand this. LDS scholars who understand the Greek understand this is the case, and that it is talking about them. So if missionary or anybody ever uses it, uh, you have something to step back on. All right, let's go into our discussion quickly tonight before we open up the phones, and let's have a word of prayer. We've had some, uh, we had just a catastrophe, almost a near death in here. A light thing almost fell on one of our audience members. It's something every week, but we're going to keep pushing forward, and let's have a prayer. Lord, we pray you'll protect us tonight, and uh, that you'll be with us, be with our audience members, help the show, and uh, let us go through without more technical difficulties or hazards to jump in our way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. On a radio program here in Salt Lake City, after presidential candidate Mitt Romney announced that he was quitting the race, talk show host, Michelle, what was his name? 
No, talk show host who uh, and made the announcement. I'll get his name in a second. He made a ridiculous comment. No, he made a ridiculous comment that Romney lost the Republican nod because Huckabee publicly said, "Don't Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers?" What was his name? Doug Wright. Doug Wright was the man's name, and he says that Mitt Romney lost it because Huckabee mentioned that, uh, "Hey, don't Mormons believe that?" that Jesus and the Satan are brothers. In light of LDS teachings and doctrine, what's wrong with Huckabee asking that question? It's absolutely the truth. They believe it. As mentioned, Latter-day Saints believe that every one of us lived in a place called a pre-existence. We talked about that. And in the spirit world prior to the world being formed and prior to us coming here, all of these spirits were formed by God and his wife or his wives. It's written both ways. Out of uh, in, intelligent spirit matter. It's like little cells of intelligent spirit matter was out there and God and his wife or wives went and they took that spirit matter and they created spirit children. According to the LDS scripture, the Pearl of Great Price, which they hold an equal value to the Bible, and the revelations of Joseph Smith, God the Father gathered these intelligences in some unknown way, and he formed these spirit children. And out of these spirit children, at the very top of the pyramid of all the spirit children, the very brightest was Jesus. Okay? This is where Jesus Christ came from in Mormon doctrine. He came from being formed of that same spirit intelligence pool that you were created of, that I was created of, that Satan was created of, all of them from the same pool, but Jesus was the brightest. He was at the top, okay? Shortly after Jesus, he may have been second in line or third or whatever, who knows, was a guy that the LDS called Lucifer. And he was, which means morning star, bright star, um, day star. That's what the word Lucifer means. And the LDS call him Lucifer, all right? That's going to mean something in a second. And then after Lucifer, after Jesus and Lucifer on this pyramid of, of beings, all these other spirits were created by the billions or trillions, and we were one of them, all right? So all of us were gathered together in this pre-existence, and the very brightest of spirits, the patriarchs, the prophets, on down to some of us, as a point of conjecture that I've heard since I was a kid, the lowest down in the pyramid base were the black people, just to let you know. That's what they always believed and taught, that they were of lower spiritual intelligence and they were not on the same level as the great noble ones like Abraham and and Jesus etc okay so you have the spectrum this pyramid uh, multi-level marketing of spirit so to speak and when people ask isn't the devil the brother of Jesus this is what they're talking about so just to say that phrase is wrong because it sounds like they were both born here and they were brothers and so people get the wrong idea on that sense, but in a true sense, they, they were spirit brothers. And we were spirit brothers and sisters of Lucifer and of Jesus in the Mormon teachings of this preexistence. Okay, now the LDS, to the LDS, this teaching is perfectly reasonable. Since Jesus himself was a spirit child of God the Father, also a created being, then all the rest of this myth-making makes sense to them, and it, they don't even bat an eye at it. It just makes complete sense. Jesus was a created spirit child. Lucifer was a created spirit child. You and I were created spirit children. Now, to the Christian ear, however, this idea is categorically uh, insipid. 
It is, you see, Bible-believing Christians see Jesus for who he is. You read through it with regenerated eyes and you see that he was uncreated. You see that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He has always existed and he created all things, all things. Jesus created all things. So how he was created and how he didn't create Satan or how he didn't create us is unknowable to a Christian. But in Mormon's teachings, because of Joseph Smith, they have this other fantasy that goes on before. So to put him in the same class with the devil and, and, and man and angels is just unconscionable. Now let me have you ask yourself a question if you're LDS. Does the doctrine of Jesus being your spirit brother make you want to worship him more or less than the doctrine that he is God who created all things then came down and offered himself for you and your sins? Which approach makes you worship and revere and adore Jesus more, okay? Which teaching causes adoration of the Lord in your heart? And what teaching legitimizes him in your heart? If you want to know part of the reason why Jesus is not understood or held up in the Mormon community the way that other churches hold him up, it's partially because of this. They get up and they bear testimony of being grateful for their elder brother. And they talk about him being their elder brother. Who do you worship more, God who condescended or an elder brother who came down to get a body because he needed one just like you did? He had to come down and get a body and go through the trials just like you and I did. So just, just consider yourself. Now, after the supposed creation of Jesus and the spirit being they call Lucifer and the rest of us, the LDS continue forward with the pre-existent fable by stating that in order for all the spirit children to have the opportunity to progress, we had to come down and get a body. And so what happens is we have this thing that the LDS call a war in heaven. What happened were all the spirit children heard God the Father and God the Father said, I want to have you go down to the earth. You're going to get a body like mine and you're going to go through tests and trials and you're going to live by faith. And if you live worthily, if you do the things that the LDS church wants you to do, and you die worthily, you can become a God like me and have the wife or wives that I have, or be a wife or wife wives like these are. And so we said, okay, let's do it. Anybody who's on the earth now said, let's do it. Yes, great plan, God. But there were some spirits that said, no, we don't like that plan. We're not gonna be able to make it down there. And Satan, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll go down to earth and I'll make everybody obey and everybody will do everything perfectly right. And then all of these spirit children will return to you, God, but give me the glory. And so this was the LDS teaching. And guess what? God said, no, I don't like that. And Satan took one third of all the spirit children, our, our elder, not our elders, but our spirit brothers and sisters, and he took them away. And there was a war in heaven and we won out with God's plan and Satan and his angels were cast out and now they come down here and all they do is try to tempt us and try us to do the things against God so that we won't be able to make it back to him. All right, you get that? So that's the whole teaching of this Jesus being the spirit brother of Satan. And if you are a lover of science fiction or you love fantasy 
and it's a it's a romantic thing. They have plays. You know, we talked about how you remember. Did I know? You know, I used to when I was a teenager. We go to these Mormon dances. I was Mormon. The greatest pickup line on a girl is like, "You act like you knew them in the preexistence." Did did I did I know you before? And automatically they're thinking, "Oh, we should have been together here on Earth." It was a great pickup line. So I mean, this is the whole idea of it. Now, the LDS have a whole bunch of scriptures that they use from the Bible to justify this whole thing. There are scriptures in the Bible that talk about Lucifer falling from heaven and, and Satan and his angels being cast out and all of those. I'm going to go into those next week because we're out of time. But um, bottom line, all of them refer to is that in the Christian world, according to the Bible, Satan was an angel. He was a created heavenly being. We don't know much more about him. There's references in Ezekiel 38, 37 that talk about this cherubim that fell because of his beauty. Even those are talking about the king of Tyre. We don't know if they mean Satan or not. But what we do know is he was a created being by Jesus who created all things. And Satan, because of his pride, he fell. And he was cast down. All right? That's all we know taking bits and pieces from the Bible and then building this fantasy out of them was Joseph Smith's real forte, and he did that. So when the LDS go through the Bible and they find these passages and they say, and Satan fell or, and, and was driven out and cast down, they say, see, the story we've just told you is true. It says it right here in the Bible. But they don't tell you that we don't know much about Satan. We know that the, the, the phrase in uh, Isaiah 12, uh, 14, 12 about him being called Lucifer is not an application to uh, Satan. Even Christians have made the mistake of saying that Lucifer, that Satan's name was Lucifer. That is absolutely not proven. It's not, it's not contextual. It's not even right in the, in the languages. The Hebrew does not justify that. In fact, uh, Jesus is called the day star in the New Testament. Jesus is called the morning star. So that term, that application in Isaiah is even wrong. And we don't even know that his name was Lucifer. In fact, I highly doubt that it was. So there's all these little twists and turns. Just know that the teaching that they were brothers is in that context. And I'm sorry that this show hasn't been the most informative. You probably knew all this stuff. But it's really, really important to next week's show because now we're going to the fall. And the roles that are played now in the fall are very important to this understanding of Satan, Lucifer, uh, uh, Satan, Jesus, this pre-existence, and Adam and Eve's purpose here on earth relative to the Christian idea. So let's go to the phones. 801-973-TV20. 801-973-8820. We really want you to be a first-time caller, whoever you are. That's the first thing. We really want you to be a first-time caller. The second thing is we would love for you to be LDS. First time caller, LDS. If you're a second time caller, please be LDS. And if third, we want you to be an animated LDS who has a good question, throw down on me or, or give us your best stuff or tell me how I'm wrong. Show us, let's have a dialogue as to what is wrong here and what I'm missing. And let's, let's call in right now and we'll take the phones from there. Uh, we have Lou from Provo, before I answer some emails. Lou, who is LDS, you're on the air. Okay, Sean, I want to make a comment. When I grew up, I was taught that the blacks didn't get the priesthood here because they remained neutral in the preexistence. They didn't follow Satan's plan or Jesus' plan. Yeah. And then later on, Alvin R. Dyer said that the Negroes didn't get the priesthood here because they rejected the priesthood there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was taught that too. When we talked about blacks in the priesthood, we talked about how that they were fence sitters. 
and they really weren't sure which way to go. But there was also a teaching that was that they were of inferior um, in, uh, uh, spiritual matter because of the teaching in Pearl of Great Price where there were great noble ones that were, uh, were first and the top of the line in the pre-existence. Therefore, there must have been bad and ignoble ones down below. And then everybody kind of conjectured and said, well, it must be the blacks. And because they couldn't have the priesthood, they rejected the priesthood, so they must have been the ones in the pre-existence. I heard that. I know that's not doctrine, but it was taught throughout the church, uh, at least in my experience it was. Yeah, and mine too. Yeah. Great call, Lou. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. By the way, that's my mom's name, so it always freaks me out when I see that. Uh, my mom is LDS, so I'm kind of dreading the day we get that call. Uh, let's see. Uh, as we wait, we got some more. We'll just go to Leroy in Orem. Leroy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, I, I sure appreciate you challenge, challenging the leaders like that. Every, I wish you challenge every week to come on the air, but you know they won't come on because you, you, get, them, you get them and they lose. But I got a, I got a comment. I, I, I can't read, so I, I rented out a uh, tape on the Book of Mormon, and yeah. I listened to the whole thing. It was not on gold plates. It was on brass plates. The only thing that was on gold plates were the plates of Jaredites. But let's say hypothetically, you know, Moroni wanted to put them on gold plates. You know how much work that would be? And you know how hard it would be? And in the Old Testament, it was done on scrolls, but there were stuff done on brass plates, just a little bit, and they were on scrolls, never a brass plate. Right. And the thing about what I, I had so many red flags, I don't know why I didn't go to the church 30, 40 years ago, but <laughs> here's the thing. If, let's say, Jesus Christ was our brother, okay, they, as Latter-day Saints, we had to come down and get a body first. He was God first. He didn't get a body, so he couldn't be our brother. Good thinking. Very good. He was, but to the LDS, he was not God first. He was a created being of the Father first. Right. So, and that, there's, that's how they justify their logic in him needing to come and get a body. Yep, but, but, it, but okay, when I was Latter-day Saint, they told me I had to get a body to get the experience of pain and, and the things in this earth, yeah. that I could become a god. But Jesus Christ was God first. He was perfect, and he didn't need to get a body. Right. You're right, and that is true in the Christian sense. Jesus was God first, and he didn't need to get a body. He condescended to get a body for our benefit. You are absolutely right, Leroy. But to the LDS, he needed to progress and get a body in order to become God. Uh, and, and you know, you're right, Mosiah, I think it was Mosiah 15, 1 through 5, he condescended yeah. to get a body. Yeah, and that is, that's, when, uh, that's when the Book of Mormon and Joseph was teaching pretty much traditional Christianity at that point. Yeah. So it was a truism in the Book of Mormon. It's the other stuff that, uh, even though it was a farce. Hey, Leroy, great call. Thanks so much. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, we are going to Jeff Layton, first-time caller. Jeff, uh, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, I just actually had a question about um, a topic you had a couple weeks ago where you were talking about the Trinity. Yeah. I was a little confused. Um, um, who was, uh, who Jesus was praying to in the garden before he was crucified? His father. His father. Yeah. So 
then he did have a father and they are separate is that absolutely they're they're separate in christianity they're separate but they are one they are god okay i just uh, i don't know I, I guess i didn't understand how it was explained that the three were all the same if if his father was a separate personage or it doesn't it doesn't say they're the same in the sense of they are equal the father is the father on the earth and the father is the holy spirit in the, that sense of the same they're the same in that they are god and the best the best thing even though it's not perfect is that venn diagram because you have the three circles that intersect and in the very center you write god but you have the father the one circle you have the son you have the holy spirit and those intersecting circles make god and it's one of the best physical diagrams that we can use but again remember we are talking about God we can't comprehend it and it's a tough show to do I, I hesitate doing it because it does bring up well what about this and that but I mean God can certainly Jesus who condescended and took it on took on a body of flesh could certainly pray to the Father you know because if Jesus walked around and said I am God and then he prayed what do you think they would say to him well if you're God who are you praying to you know, but they are three. Okay, I was just confused because, you know, where he asked the Father to, um, so that he didn't have to go through it, he was asking, not my will, but thy will be done. It just sounded to me like he was asking an actual Father for, you know, a way out. And I, it just sounded weird. He was. He to himself or, the, you know. No, he, he wasn't praying to himself. He was praying to the Father. He takes on a body of flesh. He condescends. He leaves his throne. And he prays to his Father who is spirit. And there's no inconsistency or problem with that. Okay. Thank yeah. you. I was just confused. All right. Great call. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye -bye. I hope, you know what? I hope, uh, like, Jeff, turn up your TV. I, I'm just being emphatic on this. It's not that I'm uh, being rude to you or something. I'm just, that's just how I teach. It's just emphatic. And, uh, but that's the best way I can explain it. We're going to Mark on line four. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, uh, Sean. How's it going? And I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> Uh, pretty good. I just wanted to say two things real quick. <clears throat> First of all, your book is uh, fantastic. Um, uh, I read it, and it's definitely a softer side of you, but it, it was an awesome, awesome read. Thanks, man. Uh, <clears throat> the second thing is on that uh, headline that you raised up. Yeah. From the Standard Examiner, um, it doesn't say of all. It says to all. I think you uh, misunderstood what they were trying to say. Uh, because I don't believe when it said uh, a leader to all, uh -huh. sounds like to me the context would be more along the lines of, you know, he did all this outreach to other faiths and other religions, and, you know, he established relationships, and they considered him a, 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 a you know, a, a, to have a certain amount of character, yeah. you know, rather than being a leader of all faiths, which you implied. I think it's kind of difficult because it didn't look like the article was attached to the headline. So yeah, it, it wasn't. Ruined. It was sent to me that way. But you know what? I stand corrected on that. That does make a big difference if I said a leader of all versus a leader to all. However, I still say he was not a leader to any uh, Christian community. They know what the doctrines are, and whether he did good works or not, I still don't think they would consider him a leader to the... I mean, Jesus is the leader. They would not look to Gordon B. Hinckley's teachings or anything as being a leader to them or of them. Agree with you on that, but I, I think in with our use of language today, that that 
like how you and I would say leader right. and how, let's say, some goofball at the standard examiner would say leader right. might mean two different things in that he was in charge of a group of people, so therefore he would be considered a leader of that group of people. I see. Hey, it was a good point, and I do stand corrected on that because I don't want to make mistakes like that. It was a good call. Have a good one, man. Thanks. See you later. Bye-bye. Yep. We're going to Dave and Bountiful, first-time caller. Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Um, hey, I enjoy your show. Thank you. And the other thing, I, got a, I was sitting here thinking, watching, um, as, you, as you go through and cover your passages in uh -huh. the Bible, I was wondering, and a lot of and you're comparing them to Mormonism, have you ever thought about uh, looking at uh, doing a comparison with the inspired version of the Bible by Joseph Smith and then comparing them with the... With the uh, Bible that you're using. You know, I haven't thought of uh, doing that. Um, the only reason I haven't is because the LDS don't use the inspired version. They do not, but uh, I, I've heard people draw from it. Uh huh. The next thought I had was uh, the one I called you about, and I, I just want to pick your brain on this one. Yeah. Yes. The uh, most of the people who are in the church around here refer to the leader of their church as the what? The prophet. The prophet. Yeah. Okay, how much prophecy have you heard come through the, the prophet, present or past? There's been uh, only a, maybe on one hand since uh, Brigham Young of any prophecy uh, that has been added to canon. And, uh, you know, so it, you're right, your point is very well taken. And uh, please understand to you and everyone who hears this, this isn't bashing. That's, that's not my point. Right. Is it do they just have the prophet in place so that when the communication is occurs, you've got somebody worthy to receive the message or the prophecy or whatever it is, or is this just another instrument in what you're working at? Yeah, I. Uh, so is is there prophecies going on all the time that no one else is privy to? No, in fact, Gordon B. Hinckley, when he was with, I think it was Mike Wallace, asked him about receiving prophecy, and he, and he said in his way, oh, there really isn't much more to be added to what's already been said. I mean, he just really essentially just poo-pooed the idea that they are every, every day receiving something that says do this or do that, unlike Moses, uh, but they do equate him to a prophet like unto Moses. So it is, it is interesting, but very few new prophecies coming out um, historically since since Joseph and then Brigham Young. Hey, thank you. Please know that I enjoy your show. It makes me think I'm, I'm not religious. I was a Mormon. I'm not anymore. I don't care about it. Right. Um, I appreciate your points of view and keep up the good work. Hey, thanks, Dave. Good night. Good night. Uh, we're going to Lima. First time caller. Lima, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? It's good. Lima. Lima. M -L L-E-M-A. Hi. Hi. I have a comment on Trinity. And, um, you know, I had a revelation a while ago from God. Uh, I was struggling on the Trinity. I didn't understand the word of, uh, you know, Jesus being the word of God. Uh-huh. But uh, we need to understand it literally. People having trouble not understanding Trinity because, you know, uh, Holy Spirit is the breath of God. Yes. And uh, Jesus is the Word. Literally, He was the Word of God. That's why it says that everything was made by Him. Yes. God made everything by, by Him, by Jesus. Right. That people will understand it easy uh, when they take it literally, you know? 
I, I like that, uh, that you've brought that up because it's interesting. God, who was not knowable uh, in the spirit and was the invisible God, it was a fiery wrath. He, he sends his son who comes down and takes on this body and he becomes the word. Words describe things. They tell us things. They teach us things. And he becomes the living word for us to see and learn about who God is. Exactly. And, and you know, when, when we say Jesus is the Lamb of God, people understand that it's allegory. They don't expect to see a lamb. Right. But when we say Jesus is the word of God, People understand it's the same, not literally, but allegorically, you know? Yes. But if they start thinking about it literally, they will have no trouble understanding the Trinity. Very good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, God bless you. God bless you too. Bye-bye. Bye. And please excuse the Don King tonight haircut coming. Uh, Jose, uh, line three. Jose, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, John. Uh, i got a question for you. Last uh, week... You were talking about uh, a deal on the Bible, and you were saying that uh, you were talking about Jesus and Jesus being a rock. Yes. Okay. Uh, I had an evangelist, or it don't matter who it was. It, it wasn't a LDS person, but anyway, he said that when this guy was telling me that when uh, Jesus said to Peter, "Thou art a rock." And upon this rock I shall build my church. Uh-huh. Okay, he said that when Jesus said that to Peter, when he said, Thou art a rock, but upon this rock, and he pounded, he didn't necessarily pound his own chest, but he was saying, Upon this rock I shall build my church. Like, I'm going to build my church upon myself. I see. I like that. Sir? Yeah, I like that. I think that's a great point. Uh, anyway, you said that Jesus was a rock uh, on your show. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't really remember exactly what you were talking about, but you did say them words. And anyway, I was confused. Do you think that uh, Jesus says, I will build this church upon myself? Yes. This is, this was the, there, here's the three ways that that can be taken. Jesus asked Peter, and who do you say that I am? And Jesus tells him, you are the Christ. Right. And okay, the Catholics say that Jesus says, uh, Peter, Petros, upon this little rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it on Peter, okay? Mm -hmm. The Mormons say that it was revelation from God that helped Peter say that because it wasn't a man, flesh and blood that revealed this to you, Peter, Jesus says. It was the Spirit of God that told you this. And so the Mormons say it was revelation that Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church upon, okay? The Christian church says it was upon his profession that he is the Christ, that it's this profession of him being the, who he says he was that we're going to build this church upon. And so I can see Jesus saying, upon this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. I have no problem with that. I think that fits consistently with that Old Testament passage where he is called the rock with a capital R in the Old Testament. And, and uh, Peter is not called a rock. Uh, with a capital R. He's called a little pebble, Petros. And all the apostles, almost all, not all, or, they, yeah. had, they had secondary names. They all got different or names. something to that effect. Yeah. He called him at the time. Uh, okay, but you're saying, uh, you, you answered my question the way you looked at it. Yeah. And that's fine, you know. Okay, my friend. Jesus said that I'm going to build my church upon myself. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I am saying that. Okay, that's fine. 
Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. All right, let's go to Desi on line four. Desi from Provo, first-time caller. Desi, you're on the air. you got to turn your TV down. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, okay. I'm... Did you turn your I'm TV Provo. down? I'm a, okay, this could be kind of a liberal question. Okay, I can handle that. Okay, turn it down. Um, okay, back to the being of light, you know, intelligence. Yeah. Um, okay, this is kind of verging on abortion okay. issues. Okay. Um, a bunch of cells. Why do we have birth control, Mormons? Why are we so crucified if we don't want to have a child? Is What do you, what do you think about that whole thing? Okay, uh, say it one more time, Desi, and maybe uh, say it in another way because I didn't understand. Desi? Okay. Like, going back to the being of light. Yeah. Intelligence. Pre-existence. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, um, and this verges on ending a pregnancy. Do you believe that we are just a bunch of cells and we really didn't pre-exist, so why do we use birth control? And the Mormon church is so, I don't know, so against abortion. Well, the LDS church is uh, against abortion because they believe these spirits are coming from a place and they need to get these bodies and they believe it's a moral sin and they stand on that. And Christians, they don't believe that these spirits are coming from a specific pre-existent place but they believe that God is the creator of life, that life is sacred, that at conception, that is a living being created by God, knit together in a, a woman's womb, and so life is sacrosanct, and it shouldn't be taken. But as far as uh, birth control, the LDS do believe birth control is acceptable. There are older uh, uh, comments by the prophets of old that used to say, no birth control, no birth control, but they've changed that. That may be one of the modern-day revelations. It's not canonized, but they do say now, hey, for the health of the mother and the well-being of the family, birth control is okay. you got to turn that TV down, Desi. Okay, well, so do you believe that it's, it's okay, I mean, to end a life? Do I believe that? Desi, turn down that TV. Desi? It's down. Okay. Do I believe ending a life is okay? It's not down, Desi. I got. It. I had to end it, man. All right. We're going to Jill, first-time caller, and I don't believe ending life is okay. I, uh, my ideas on that have morphed over time. When I was LDS and I kind of went searching, I became very liberal in my thoughts. And in time, because of the Spirit of the Lord and reading the Word, I have retracted from that liberalism and have become much more uh, convinced of the, the heinous crime of abortion and that is a terrible thing for humans to do and that is not part of God's plan in any way. And I'm against abortion and I'm against abortion in all cases, just to, to, just to put it frankly. So um, that's how it is. That's how I feel. Jill from Provo. Jill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, this is Jill Patterson, and I'm from Provo. Hi, Jill. Really appreciate you having your show on because I don't drive and I don't get out, and I very rarely get to church. 
I started attending Lot Canyon Christian Church up there in Provo. Uh huh. And so I just wanted to thank you for that because when I saw you on TV, I just really loved it and fell in love with it. I do have one big question that I cannot get my mom and friends around me to answer. Yes. Please tell me about when they're being filled for time and all eternity. Where is it in the Bible, please? It's not. I didn't think so. I've looked and looked and I've read my Bible from top to bottom and I cannot find it anywhere. So where did they get that idea? Joseph's imagination. Okay. Yep. All right. <laughs> I left the church when I was up in Idaho, and I attended, uh, I can't remember the, the church, but they attend, um, had one guy that was a Mormon before he left the church, too, and he showed us the very original Book of Mormon and the changes, and then he had the 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 new ones too. Wow. And he showed us the changes in the, from the very new one to the old one. Yeah, that's a, those are amazing changes, aren't they? Oh, they were. And I was just absolutely astounded. And I was so astounded that I ended up holding up the wall for a long time after that. <laughs> and, you know, I was just thinking because he just told me everything that I had believed in all my life, you know, being born that way and baptized in the Mormon, and then all of a sudden, but the Book of Mormon is not true, and he showed us why. Shocking, isn't it? It did. It did. Jill, thank you so... I just wanted to tell you how glad I am that you're on the air, that I get to watch you. Thanks so much. Thank you. God bless you. Bye-bye. A couple quick things. We get a lot of emails asking a lot of questions, doctrinal questions historical proofs, where is this found? Listen, it, make it very easy on yourself. Go to www.utlm.org. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We talk to you more about Jesus and being born again as a Mormon, as a Christian, as an atheist, being born again. But Sandra Tanner's site, utlm.org, it has everything you want. It has it documented. You can research it all day long and never come to an end. It's a great site. So go for your Mormon verifications of the things you're looking for, whatever it is, virgin birth, pre-existence, lies, counterfeits, weight of the gold plates, everything, utlm.org. Quickly, before we go to uh, Harley, I uh, just wanted to say, got an email from Linda B. who says, go to glennbeck.com and watch his tribute to Gordon B. Hinckley. There's a lot of people, Christians especially, who like his politics, who watch Glenn Beck. Go watch to see what he says about the passing of Gordon B. Hinckley and see how much of a man tribute you see there on that station. Let's go to Harley on line two. Harley, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, I hit my mute just for you. Thank you. Uh, this is Harley from Kolob. Hey, Harley from Kolob. Harley or Harley. Say, uh, the Mormon policy on abortion is they allow it for five reasons. Rape, incest, health of the mother, life of the mother, and a fetus determined to be non-viable by competent medical authorities. Interesting. So church allows the murder of unborn children, and I'm so glad to hear that you, that you are against it, Sean. Yes. Well, Harley, I am, and I thank you for the call. Hey, but, but I'm not done yet, sir. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. But Amen. you seem to dance around God, and how can you come to know him? But, uh, uh, and also, it's, it's not categorically insipid, it's uncategorically insipid. Uncategorically. I'm just helping you with your grammar. Thank you. <laughs> I stand well, corrected. Pro-life. 
I like categorically insipid. Is it really wrong? It's uncategorically insipid. Everybody in the world says it's wrong. They say it the wrong way. But I'm trying to help you. Thank you. TV persona. Thank you. <laughs> so, so thanks for being pro-life. Yes, you're welcome, Harley. And, and thank and you for your, uh, your corrections. And have a good day. And same to you. I'm going to find out if that's improper. I just don't think it is. But anyway, uh, listen, really quickly. David says, since Cain's descendants died in the great flood of Noah, we can be sure that nobody bears the mark of Cain today. The LDS say that the curse came through e uh, an Egyptian woman who was married to Ham, whose name was Egyptus. And that's how they say that the curse of Cain traversed over the waters through the Noah's Ark, and that's how the curse continues on in the skin of the black people today. Now, if you were me and a young Weeblo out in the wilderness with your friends, you would say that Cain clung to the outside of the Ark as it passed through the waters, and then when it landed on dry ground, he ran as fast as he could into the wilderness, became Bigfoot, and somehow married a girl and had more children. But that was our scouting idea of how the curse of Cain lasted through the flood. We're going to Mary in Ogden. Mary, first time caller, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you? My name is Mary and I'm in Ogden. Hi. I wanted to ask you a question about free will. Yes. And when they do baptism of the dead, and by the way, I'm not LDS, I'm Jewish. Uh -huh. When they do baptism of the dead, what happens to free will? Well, they say that the dead, the deceased in the spirit world, have the choice to either choose to accept that baptism or to deny it. Oh, I see. Well, yeah. do you have, they don't seem to me to have free will now in, in the Mormon church because they're trying to get me to join. Oh, yeah. Well, don't let them. Don't join. And uh, you, you will, your eyes will be opened. You, you sound like you're already a thinker talking about free will and spirits in the spirit world. You know, what's interesting about that question, Mary, is that there's also quotes by the LDS uh, prophets that say, don't be fooled. The very spirit and attitude you have when you die is going to be the spirit and attitude you have when you go to the other side. So the baptisms, when they go to somebody who would, would have rejected it here, they're going to reject it there as well. It's essentially a backup plan for people who didn't get to hear the Mormon gospel while on this earth. And if they had, they would have accepted it. And that's why they have people do it. Mary, we are out of time. I appreciate your call. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to try one more. We've, I don't know if we can do it. Scott, I'm sorry, but you have 20 seconds. Scott? Yes. Hi, Sean. I'm sorry, you have 20. Now you have 15. <laughs> okay. Uh, quick question. Do you see the LDS Church with the doctrines that they're saying now about uh, God was, it was, maybe God wasn't a man, and he progressed to God, and that Jesus and Satan aren't brothers. It's a small step to a change in doctrine, or is this just a PR statement to make the general non-LDS non public make us feel better, more comfortable with dealing with the uh, Mormon church? The latter. Yeah, the latter. Scott, we're out of time. Thanks for a great call. Thanks for a call, though. Okay, bye-bye. Listen, uh, I think it's a latter. We are not going to, we're going to, this is our last night. At Denny's tonight, and after that, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run.
break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run.